Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Couple door prizes. All right. Do we want to do the margarita mix? Yeah. All right. We have a, it's supposed to be an all-in-one margarita mix. And, and oh, my goodness, the number that I have for this is Elaine Vining. She's not going to drink that at all, is she? All right, let's let's do one more. Somebody will help. All right, quiet, everybody. And then we have number twenty. Uh, we have uh, what's our next prize, Patty? Oh, two dozen cookies homemade by Patty Slobby, and she makes wonderful, wonderful cookies. And this goes to a new first time ACBM attendee, Mr. Joshua Peterson. I and and Patty said that she will send the cookies to you. Well, did everyone on site enjoy their lunch? And our lunch today was sponsored by Non24 with Banda Pharmaceuticals, thanks to their sponsorship. And we are privileged to have here today a nurse educator from Vanda, Jennifer Lyman. Jennifer, are you around? All right. I thought you had snuck in. Yay! Hi, everyone. Thanks so much, Janet, for inviting me. My name is Jennifer, and I am a nurse educator on a topic called Non24. So for anyone who is in Omaha, you probably heard me speak for a couple of minutes, but Let's be real, the, the big topic of interest uh, that day was the ice cream, so. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, I thought I would spend just a couple of minutes telling you all um, what we do. Some of you may know and some of you may not. Um, I work with three other nurses, and we cover the entire country, and what we do is we go out and we meet with organizations that support the visually impaired, um, so we go to support groups. We love coming to conventions. Thank you, Janet. Um, we go to rehab facilities, manufacturers, any place that is supporting the visually impaired so that we can be out in the communities raising awareness of Non24. And for those of you who are not familiar with Non24, it's a circadian rhythm disorder, and it can affect your sleep. And the visually impaired are um, most at risk for developing this, especially people who are totally blind. So even if you don't have the signs and symptoms today, um, if they develop somewhere down the road, know that there are resources out there for you. Um, what we do is we go out and we talk to these groups, we share information um, on the signs and symptoms to look for so that if someone does have them and is struggling with a, a solid sleep schedule, they can take some information to their healthcare provider and start that discussion. We never talk about treatments or products. We are simply out in the communities to raise awareness um, of this disorder because it is considered a rare disorder. And for people who have it, 
they really struggle in silence, um, sometimes many, many years. So we're out here. If anyone wants to stop by the table today, I'm happy to answer questions on the signs and symptoms to look for what your next steps would be. Um, we partner with another group of professionals, or we call them health educators. They're phone-based people. Um, but they can talk about other things that we cannot. Uh, the company I work for, Vanda Pharmaceuticals, has been doing research on non-24 many years and is continuing to do research. So if that's something that is of interest or you know someone who might be interested, stop by and see me and I can connect you to one of those people. Um, and um, that's it, pretty much. And we hope that all of you will come to the in-person convention this summer in Schaumburg, Illinois, because Vanda Pharmaceuticals Non-24 always has ice cream bars at their booth. And Schaumburg is, yep, so... So thank you, everyone. Yes. All right. Thank you. And, and we'll see Jennifer later on in the exhibit hall. Thank you. Natasha, are you here? All right. Good. I, it's my privilege this afternoon to introduce someone who all of you from Minnesota know very well, and that is Natasha Gerd. And Jurd, and she is the director of Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development with State Services for the Blind. And they're located in St. Paul, Minnesota. And Natasha's going to talk about updates and changes to SSB, and she'll uh, highlight some of the successes, and she'll talk about a myriad of things. And we should have time for a few questions uh, after her, the conclusion of her speech. So. So I apologize, I did not bring any ice cream, but for next time, next time, I know the key to people's hearts. So um, I do want to just take a moment to say thank you to Janet. Um, I lost my mom about a year and a half ago, and I have to say, Janet, you are the sweetest person I have ever met in my life. And <laughs> she has always reached out just over this past year and a half to check in on me. So I just want to say thank you. Um, so I am so honored to be invited to speak to you all about something that I am incredibly passionate about, and that is the evolution of state services for the blind. So Fred McFarlane, who is a, uh, he's a facilitator for a program called the National Rehabilitation Leadership Institute, shared this quote with me recently, and he said that change is not a rejection of our past or current behaviors. It's our response to the future. And change is hard for the most of us. So if change is easy for you, can you please tell me your secret afterwards? <laughs> it's not ever easy for me. But, um, you know, the word change can imply that what we were doing before was wrong or wasn't good. So that's why I like the term evolve better, because it means we're taking all of the things that we have done or are doing and making them better and easier for everyone. So in our evolution at State Services for the Blind, the people we serve are at the center of it. We need to make sure that every single one of our programs meets the needs of not only the current people we're working with, but people who not yet know about who we are and what we do. And the word customer means different things. It means people who are blind, visually impaired, and deafblind. It means people who have barriers in accessing the printed word and it means businesses and employers. 
The communication center has been evolving in terms of reaching more and different people by modernizing our technology and expanding the way we deliver services. The long effort to make print accessible to everyone started with individuals who are blind and has expanded to include persons with other forms of print disabilities. And only recently have we begun to address the injustice of the availability of books available to people with disabilities who primarily speak languages other than English. To date, we have done the following. Minnesota's poet laureate Gwen Westerman recorded her book, Follow the Blackbirds, which includes poems in the Dakota language. It is the first accessible book to include Dakota content. And our volunteers recorded her volume of history, Misoda, Makos, the land of the Dakota. Minnesota author Huda Ibrahim recorded the Somali and English editions of her book, What Color is My Hijab? And volunteers recorded her book, From Somalia to Snow, How Central Minnesota Became Home to Somalis. We collaborated with the St. Paul Public Library and several contributors to an anthology of children's stories in the Ska Karen language to make the first recording of an accessible book in Karen. Minnesota author Kao Kalia Yang came to our St. Paul studios to record the Hmong edition of her book, The Most Beautiful Thing. We collaborated with Anton Troyer to make available a journal in the Anishinaabe language. And we were able to secure an accessible audio version of the Harry Potter series in Finnish. Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah, we, have a, we have a large Finnish speaking population actually in Northern Minnesota. But we actually did this in honor of the Finland ambassador's trade visit. And Lisa Largis and I attended a reception at the governor's mansion and Governor Walls shook our hands and thanked SSB for the work we do in making print accessible to all. And we presented, well, as much as we could present an audio version of Harry Potter and Finnish to the trade ambassador. Um, and we completed a braille transcription of children's books in Hmong. And that's just the beginning. We are even looking at um, developing a Braille code for the D Dakota language. And we have a Braillist who is a linguist and is actually exploring how to create a code. And moving on to Radio Talking Book, this evolution continues as well. This program is under new leadership. Joseph Papke, one of our longtime intermittent broadcasters, is our new supervisor, re replacing Scott McKinney, who recently retired. Joe has already made a significant impact in developing a record-keeping system, working out a trade credit for books, and has renewed many volunteer relationships. We are excited to see how he will be taking this program to the next level. And in this day and age, almost everything we could want and need is available right at our fingertips, made possible by technology. Radio Talking Book is no exception to that. The transition from the physical radio receivers to web and apps, while not without hiccups, has increased popularity of our programming throughout not just Minnesota, but across the world. You can listen to your favorite RTB content anywhere, anytime, on the bus, while you are working or studying, backpacking around Europe, and even while you're going to the bathroom. <laughs> if you don't have a way to listen in, we have launched a new smart speaker device loan program. And if you don't have internet, would like to get it, we can connect you with a list of resources in Minnesota to find low cost alternatives. 
And on the topic of technology, we are excited to share that we are officially distributing the NLS Braille e-readers to Minnesotans. We also have a new high-quality tactile graphics embosser in the Braille unit. And we have started to upgrade the equipment in our conference rooms so that we can better conduct hybrid meetings. So if you can't get to our office for a meeting or to join a committee, not a problem. So what's next for the evolution of the communication center? And I have one word, it's outreach. We will not be the best kept secret anymore. We cannot afford to. We wanna make sure every Minnesotan who could benefit from these services know how to access them and that those services we are providing can be accessed by every single person. And honestly, I sometimes think our senior services unit can not evolve any more than they already have. Our team serves more seniors than any other state in the country outside of California. Mm -hmm. While the pandemic in 2020 and 2021 almost cut the number of people they served in half, we are back to pre-pandemic levels. And in 2022, they worked with 3,599 people. And fun fact, 39 of them were over 100 years of age. <laughs> There's something in the Minnesota water, I have to say. <laughs> and here we are, we are still evolving. We have most recently partnered with the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, our largest referral source. Beginning Valentine's Day, one of our specialists will be housed there one day a week. Mayo Eye clinicians will intentionally schedule exam visits with seniors so that they coincide with the day that our specialist will be there. That way they can spend less time talking about the medical side and more time talking about all of the independent living services and aids available to them. So the doctor visit, normally about 45 minutes speaking to an eye doctor, will cut down to 15 and the rest of that time will actually be talking to one of our staff. And now I just want to quick bring it back to why we do what we do and read you a letter from Judy. I am currently receiving services from the State Services for the Blind Senior Unit, and I am so incredibly grateful for the services and help that I have received. I have always had low vision, but had noticed a further decrease, which was my reason for contacting SSB to help me with some training and ideas that would allow me to function as independently as possible. Some of the things that I've been working on include tips for labeling things in my kitchen and around my house, such as clothing and shoes. I've really appreciated the various ways I've been able to access information through talking apps, braille labels, way around talking tags, etc. And it's so nice to be able to find what you are looking for in the refrigerator. I have also been learning braille to help not only with labeling, but having a system so that I can keep track of credit cards, healthcare cards, and other personal information. I've also received some technology services that have been extremely helpful. I learned how to use an app for scanning some of my recipes, which are now on my iPhone. And it's so nice to be able to have recipes on my phone that I can access with speech. I was glad to learn some things about attending Zoom meetings and learning about some helpful apps and searching the web. There is so much to learn in adaptive technology, which can be overwhelming, but so very exciting and helpful once you know how to use it. Thanks so much to the senior unit for all the help that you have given me. Your services and help truly make a difference. Wow. And that's what, this is why we do what we do. 
program, though, that most needs to evolve as a result of the pandemic is our business enterprise program. And in fact, they need more than an evolution. They need a revolution. So, <laughs> the, the move to remote work within state and federal government has drastically impacted operators' profits. SSB has been looking for opportunities to offer financial assistance to our operators as much as possible. And we were one of the first programs in the country to get the federal restoration and relief dollars into the hands of our operators. And we are working with our elected committee to grant additional funds and payouts to alleviate those financial stressors. But you know, it's not all doom and gloom. And for the first time in the history of BEP, an operator earned a net profit of over $49,000 just in the month of August. It's almost half a million dollars a year. And knowing that the world now looks very different for the BEP compared to 10 years ago, we're not sitting idle. We are investing $1.8 million in updating 30% of the machine inventory so that we can position our operators for the future. We are looking at additional opportunities at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, the University of Minnesota, and the state fairgrounds. We also are looking at expanding locations in various federal and state buildings, and possibly looking at cafeteria operations that are operated by private sector companies in those buildings, because those private sector companies are deciding not to go back and do business with federal and state properties. So we're gonna swoop in and take, uh, take that as an opportunity. The BEP and our elected committee have also made a commitment to sponsor several operators to attend national conferences in the coming years, as well as partnering with local companies to sponsor vending business training opportunities. That way we can continue finding ways to evolve our program. Now I saved the biggest evolution for last, and that evolution is happening right now within our workforce development vocational rehabilitation program. In fact, we have officially launched a written plan to redesign our services to better meet the needs of current and future customers of our program. And we are calling this plan Evolve VR. And the goal of Evolve VR is three things. It's having a program that results in people obtaining life-sustaining careers that offer great wages and opportunities for advancement. It's providing services that are easy, easy to access do not require people to jump through hoops and drives people to reach their full vocational potential. And it's creating the best program in the country that people want to work for and work with. So why now? The National Vocational Rehabilitation Program is under intense scrutiny for declining numbers, less than satisfactory performance, and millions of dollars in returned funds. According to the Rehabilitation Services Administration, which is our federal governing body, um, they reported from 2017 to 2020 the following numbers, and this is nationwide. Applications are down 43.5%. The number of people exiting with successful employment is down 33.6%. The employment rate, which compares how many people successfully get work compared to how many people leave our program unsuccessfully. Yeah, I, I hear you. I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, that rate has been declining from 49.5 to 43.8. We want that over 50%. And in 2022, 
22 states gave back $338 million in VR funds. That's almost 10% of the total VR grant that goes out. That's $338 million that is not going back to serving people with disabilities. The unemployment rate for people with disabilities has not improved in over 20 years. Here in Minnesota, where unemployment is around 3%, people with disabilities face double-digit unemployment. We are coming out of a pandemic and the great resignation. The VR program, much like other businesses, also are experiencing high staff turnover and many vacancies. And as much as I wish this wasn't the case, SSB is not immune to any of these challenges. So I'm just going to share with you some of the specific strategies we are going to be doing under Evolve and why. And just know it, I'm, I don't want to go over time, so I'm only going to be able to give a few examples. I'm watching you. <laughs> you keep, keep me on track. Um, but you can reach out to me to get a full copy of the plan. Um, I believe it's already been posted on our website, but I'll check with Lisa. And you all have access to this, and I want to hear from you. And I want to hear your thoughts and ideas. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to evolve our mindset and how we think about vocational rehabilitation. We are going to be bringing our staff back to the core values of having the person first. This means trusting the people we serve and meeting them where they are at, not where they think where we think they should be. This means staff are responding and communicating quickly and clearly, building strong relationships with each and every person they are serving and providing encouragement, guidance, and sometimes a, a push or two so that every person they are working with are reaching their full potential. It's moving away from saying things like, well, policy says this. Nope, we don't want to say that anymore. We will be doing this through intensive and ongoing professional development and training, which we've already started. And we are going to be bringing in past and current customers to share their experiences with working with SSB. And that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Second, we need to evolve the awareness of the program so that every single individual out there who needs us now or who will need us in the future know right where to go. We are going to be developing and launching a public outreach and engagement campaign that spreads the word that SSB is here, ready, and able to support Minnesotans who are blind, visually impaired, and deafblind. We also know that no matter what we do to improve our program, if employers aren't hiring people with disabilities, nothing will change. Therefore, our awareness efforts will include doing a targeted outreach campaign to change perceptions and biases around hiring people who are blind, visually impaired, and deafblind, so that more employers recognize that this group of people is essential in solving their own workforce shortages. Some of you may be aware of the critical shortage in available contractors that can provide adjustment to blindness training and employment-related services especially in greater Minnesota. To put it in perspective, we have had a 50% decrease in how many partners are contracting with us. That means some customers are waiting for services and there is no one solution to solve this issue. And it's actually a nationwide issue plaguing every agency across the country. We're gonna be focusing on helping our current contractors increase their capacity to serve more people in other areas of the state. We are looking and finding and training new contractors, and we're also looking at internal staff who can help. And third, we need to design a vocational rehabilitation program. So it's actually a delight to have an open case with us. 
Now, if you worked with us before or are working with us now, I'm guessing you would not use the words easy or fast to describe the services. Um, though I would say if you're working with our pre-employment transition services team, you probably would say fun because Sheila and that team, they are fun. But now we need to evolve. I mean, you can go on Amazon right now and order an entire living room set and have it delivered to your house in three days. But if you come to our program, you may need to, you may be waiting up to six months to start services. That's absolutely ridiculous. It should not take that long just to start your first service. So we are looking at how to get people into services as fast as possible and reducing the amount of paperwork that they have to fill out or send to us. The ultimate dream, this is what we're, what we're going for, is someone comes to us on day one and they start adjustment to blindness training on day two. That's the goal. One thing we are seriously considering is amending our eligibility criteria. So it is not a medical model, meaning it's based on visual acuity like 2060, but rather it's based on is your vision loss impacting employment? That's what counts. It's not the number. It is how is it impacting you? We are also, and actually we have, uh, removed financial participation requirements. We put a moratorium right now on people having to pay for any of their services, and we are going to be removing that requirement, period. And finally, we are looking at new models for providing job placement services so that when someone is ready to find a job, they can get into that job as quickly as humanly possible. And fourth, we need to make sure we have trained and qualified staff that can serve our customers. We know that when we have a counselor leave us, it causes instability and stress for our customers. We have several strategies around staffing so that customers are not impacted by our own turnover. And I am pleased to say that our turnover of five years ago is not the turnover of today. And knock on wood, I'm knocking on my head right now, um, we are pretty much fully staffed, fully staffed. And finally, we need to be able to tell our story and share how we are doing clearly and quickly. We want you to be able to say, hey, how many people did you find jobs last year? And you should be able to find that information at a click of a button. And so in order to be relevant, we need to show that we're doing good work and that we have great performance. So we're developing a plan on how to better use our customer satisfaction survey and the voice of our customers and partners to help us improve. We also will be reducing the burden that our counselors have for collecting data. We don't want them spending all their time behind a computer. We want them spending time talking to their customers. And we know that if we can reduce that burden, they're gonna have more time to meet each of their customers. If they had to choose between writing a case note and picking up the phone and answering a call, I would hope 100% of the time they are picking up the phone and not writing the case note. Still important, but not as important as the people we're serving. So SSB turns 100 years old on July 1st, 2023. Wow. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. We, we will be having a huge celebration. Yes, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Now, there will be a formal event. We Our guest list is limited to 300, but there will be more information. Um, we're trying to compile that list now. And while we can't invite everyone, we want to make sure that um, that the ACB is, is present at that celebration. But now we need all your help. We need to... We need your help to ensure that we're going to be here on July 1st, 2123. Earlier, I mentioned that the people we serve are at the center of what we do. And that also means that those same people must have a voice in how we evolve. So please, I invite each and every one of you to reach out to me or to any SSB staff person you know or are comfortable with and share your own thoughts and ideas for what we need to do to provide services that are relevant easy to access and positively impact the lives of people who are blind, visually impaired, and deafblind, or otherwise have a barrier to accessing print. Now we do have some exciting news. So the exciting news, so we we have not had a increase in our state budget in 20 years. For the first time ever, the governor has included a $4 million permanent appropriation to state services for the blind. Four million. That would be two million dollars per year permanently. Um, First time in 20 years other than the senior services unit money we got a few years back. Um, A lot can happen in the next few months. The governor's budget does not mean that is the final budget. But if you ever have an opportunity to to talk to your um, your Congressman, whoever can help make that decision that our money will will be in place on July 1st, that will help us meet all of the goals of our Evolve. Um, that $2 million is going to go to uh, our communication center primarily, who, as you know, we have to fundraise to survive. We do not have enough state money to continue. So we, we fundraise. So that $2 million a year means a lot. And so to end my presentation, I want to tell you about Cassie. Cassie is a mom, a newlywed, and a classic overachiever. She came to SSB while a student at the Academy for the Blind. She embraced all of the opportunities available to her, including attending the summer transition program, taking college courses while attending high school, learning and using assistive technology, training in orientation and mobility, and trying out different work experiences. After a break from the program, Cassie decided it was time to get back into the workforce in a new city. She worked in tandem with one of our employment specialists on how to navigate the job market during a pandemic. She secured not one, not two, but three jobs that worked around her children's schedules. She was a custodian, a personal care attendant, and a baker assistant. But being a baker was her true love. She took the initiative to learn some new skills, and she received a promotion to Baker 2. This new role has allowed Cassie to cut back on jobs, but she's never idle. She's already setting her sights on her next role as a Baker supervisor. And Cassie was asked the question, if you could change just one thing to make hiring easier for individuals with disabilities, what would that be? And she responded, well, from the employer standpoint, never think that someone can't do something because I believe there's always an accommodation for everything. You just have to find the right one. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Natasha, thank you so much. What, what great,
great news from SSB. Wow, thank you, and happy 100th birthday. And uh, thank you for coming here in person. All right, I have the pleasure now of introducing someone who, full disclosure, has become, I like to consider her a good friend. Hope she considers me a good friend because we work together enough <laughs> on uh, various projects for ACB. And she is our first vice president of American Council of the Blind, Deb Cook-Lewis from Clarkston, Washington. She has been, well, she's going to talk a little bit about what she did in her life before retirement and her life in ACB and give us some pointers and just uh, address our group for a few minutes. So, Deb, it's all yours. I just so much enjoyed Denise's presentation in particular this morning because it just really feeds off of the comments that I have for you. Um, advocacy is so important and anytime we can break it down and make it as simple as possible and, and really actually set our goals realistically and achieve them, that's, that's what we want to do. Janet said, I'd tell you a little bit about me and what I used to do before I retired. I don't remember that far back. <laughs> I have no idea. In fact, my husband asked the other night, he said, do you think your schedule is worse now that you're not working? And I said, yes, I have absolutely no time to go to work. I do periodically get offered the possibilities of employment, you know, like part-time employment or this kind of, would you like to come and work for us? And No, <laughs> I like don't have time for you. So it's really really true. But I actually, uh, I retired in 2018. Um, I worked uh, for the state of Washington for about 43 years. Uh, some of that time at the Department of Services for the Blind, where I did uh, over time just about everything there was to do in the agency. But my probably longest stint was as the manager for their um, uh, assistive technology division, where we, of course, assisted people with the technology they would need to uh, get employment and get education and that sort of thing. And we had uh, uh, six or seven staff in that department. We were very, very busy and pretty progressive in that area. So that's where I spent probably the most of my time there. That led me to 15 years at the University of Washington at the uh, what's called the Center on Technology and Disabilities. Um, I don't know what the deal is at universities, but they like to call everything a center. They think they're the center of the universe. And uh, don't try to tell them differently because it won't work. Uh, but basically, um, in that job, I, I did a lot of technology things there as well, including managing uh, the state's um, assistive technology program and some other things. I think the most rewarding job I had in that department was uh, when, uh, actually, when I retired, I was doing this, and I was managing the, equi uh, the equipment distribution program for the, the uh, deafblind equipment distribution program that comes out of the FCC. And so I was managing that for our state. And that was just a, a really eye-opening and sometimes ear-opening experience to... Um 
to really uh, experience and observe the challenges that people face who have both vision and hearing loss and who often don't have English as their primary language. And uh, I found out how hard technology can be. So um, I really, really had an appreciation for the effort that many of those individuals were making for communication. Um, since retiring, I have three major activities that I'm involved with. One of them is... Um, certainly ACB, where I'm pretty busy. Uh, most notably, I'm probably uh, connected to, uh, a- well, I am connected. I'm probably most noted to be connected with um, ACB Media, where um, um, I help out with um, things like conventions and streaming various community calls and all all kinds of other little technical things behind the scenes. And uh, so it's uh, great to have you all having your conference stream today and really appreciate the effort that, uh, except for the doorbell, that uh, Bryn's taking to uh, get uh, all set up and going. And it's really nice to be able to hear the audience. A lot of the times we connect the audience all through the mixer and then can't hear them at all. And I sort of wonder if they're there or if they've left. So it's nice to know that we can actually kind of hear you guys in the background. That's kind of great. Um, so um, I've also been involved in a lot of other uh, issues in in ACB um, convention and communications and and uh, various things. So it's been a busy time. I have two other activities that take up quite a bit of my time. I'm on the alumni board for Guide Dogs for the Blind, and uh, we uh, generate uh, activities and uh, things not so much to do with getting a guide dog, but uh, the sort of the support of people after they've had a dog, and so. So um, that's been a very, very fun and rewarding experience. And on the advocacy front, I am currently chair of the Washington State Human Rights Commission, which really is the highest uh, civil rights position in, in our state and would be truly the same in pretty much other states. And uh, my husband likes to call that the Human Wrongs Commission. Um, He says, why do you call it human rights when you are never celebrating what people have done right? You are very focused on what people did wrong. So so we call it the Human Wrongs Commission around our house, but uh, I will be working with them uh, until June, at which time my current term ends and I will not be seeking another one. So uh, that's kind of all that. Today, I wanted to just mention a couple things to you um, about ACB, and and I will stop in time for a couple of questions, because I I find it's really interesting to go around and talk to the different state affiliates. One of the things I said when I started uh, becoming... uh, a little more politically active in ACB, and I ran for the Board of Publications, um, um, which was kind of a fluke situation, really, for me. It was not a planned run. It was something that it was like, I could do that. And so I did. Um, and then later chaired that. And that's a, a, a fabulous piece of uh, what ACB does around communications and the Braille Forum, but so much more that the uh, Board of Publications is involved with and ably chaired by uh, Katie Frederick now. But um, but when I, um, when I 
did that, I said, you know, I want to be able to to serve in in some way, and I had no idea where that all might go. Um, and that was as a result of uh, having been uh, in the first class of the J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows. So I do highly recommend that program, and um, uh, hope that if you are you know interested in pursuing um, leadership in ACB, that you will take advantage of that program among other things. But it is it is a really really great opportunity. Um, so um, basically, uh, you know, my my work in ACB has led to to some of those things, and I, I'm really struck by a few things in ACB that I think are really really six, uh, important in in terms of having a national organization. Because people ask all the time, well, why why do you guys do that? Is you know, it, the it's uh, I like my chapter, I like the state, but w- why are we involved with a national organization at all? And and I. I thought about that a lot, and I thought, well, you know, we're we're involved. Um, we're involved because of the level of advocacy we can promote at a national level. Um, when I look at the things that ACB has done around. Um, uh, audio description, for example, that are totally unique in the world. And I'm not the biggest audio description advocate in the world. I have to personally admit that. But I really stand in awe of the work that ACB has done to promote that and the world leader that ACB has become in establishing that. Um, I think another thing, of course, is our legislative activity. And uh, this year we will be having our legislative uh, seminar. Uh, you'll be getting more and more information about that and registration is uh, slated to uh, open next week I think if a couple little kinks get worked out Um, and um, uh, we're going to be offering a uh, a hybrid event but it's really a virtual event and then a an in-person event Um, and those uh, will be coming up in March and I'm pretty excited about that Um, ACB is going to be actually uh, putting on a very professional rally around the issue of accessible currency. And um, I think that, that that is significant. I mean, just as a reminder, it was like 2008, I believe, when uh, Congress said, oh, yeah, we're going to make the currency, the paper currency in the U.S. accessible like it is in most of the rest of the world. Um, and here we are in 2023 and no sign of this happening. So ACB needs to continue to bring that to the forefront. Um, We're also involved in a lot of other legislation, and you can read the details of our legislative imperatives online. Those are available now for you, and just in the interest of time, I won't try to run through them all. But but I'm particularly interested in the Web and Software Accessibility Act because it is so critically necessary that uh, software applications and websites be be as accessible as possible, particularly in this uh, amazing time where we do so much more virtually even as we kind of have moved a little through some of the pandemic stuff. We still, you know, have that virtual legacy now and, and we need to make sure it's as accessible as possible. So ACB is in the forefront on that area too. I think another area that is really, really important for us is, um, 
Uh, and you're catching on. I actually have a little thing for it, right? So we had the A, and now we're going to have the C and ACB. And that is community. And it's community with a capital and community small both. So the ACB community that has built up since the pandemic is amazing. Um, we've had over 10,000 calls. Um, we've had, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who have been individually impacted and touched by that every week you can do things from have social chats to actually learn new skills and um, and it's it's been an amazing thing that started up during the pandemic but has continued to flourish and and so I certainly commend us for that effort and and Cindy and her crew and all the volunteers who are part of that but the other piece of this that's really important is just the whole community of ACB working together to accomplish its goals. And there's certainly a lot you can do individually. Some of the things that Denise talked about this morning uh, work totally effectively individually. But there's definitely a point at which community has to come together and have a collective voice for things to um, make make a difference. And so uh, that that just becomes terribly obvious. I think the final thing in that whole arena is the issue of of the word B and that's about blind and visually impaired people being that unique community that come together. I'm really so appreciative of the relationships that ACB has with other organizations, both people who are blind and visually impaired and also organizations that serve other disability groups. And ACB has been and is a leader in that arena in creating collaboration everywhere we can. And I think that that is a critical effort. You need to stand up for yourself when your uh, issues are truly, truly unique. But when there uh, is collaboration to be had, that community is so much stronger and the voice is so much um, better heard if it's heard together and as large and as unified as it can possibly be. And I think that that has been something that ACB has done over the years that makes it very unique and um, and something that I'm really, really proud of. So those are all kind of important things and, and things that mean um, a lot to me personally and should mean a lot to you. Um, one of the things that was really funny for me when I first started uh, talking to, or we started doing virtual events here in ACB, was the fact that I said it'd be great to be able to go around to uh, different states and chat with the states and get acquainted with them and really spend time with them. And I got to do that in spades uh, during our virtual years. I actually, we did uh, 20 uh, affiliate conventions last year, and I think I was at about 18 of those. So um, that was really a dream come true for me. I, I'm super sorry that I couldn't be there in person with you because I think there's a super value to that and, and a wonderful situation. But um, I live in a place that is very hard to travel out of, um, and um, it, even under the best of conditions. So um, so it just wasn't going to make sense to do that. But um, I I appreciate you having me virtually today, and it's it's great to be able to present to you. Um, I'm going to stop here because we have about four minutes left, and 
I wonder if you have any questions about um, about me or about ACB or about, well, if you ask anything really complicated about ACB, I'll have to turn it back to Janet because she knows <laughs> lots more than I do. But, oh, I'll be oh, happy, no. but I'll be happy to fake it. You know, I always believe that that when in doubt, just say it with conviction and most people will believe you. So um, keep that in mind whenever I say anything because that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's absolutely... I do. It's absolutely you know, I my I trademark. I was a very organized person. Yeah. Until I'm Deb, but she's even a better multitasker than I am. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only way I can get anything do we, done. Yeah. Do we have any questions? Yeah. In, um, yes. All right. Yes, Jeff. Oh, Carl, you can actually use. Good afternoon. This is Carl from yeah. Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, for coming on and uh, inspiring the notes of what the ACB used in the acronym, I mm-hmm. think that was very clever and very good. Um, the thing you were talking about community, mm-hmm. um, I came from the NFB into the ACB. Don't start the booze now. Oh, no, 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 not at all. You're welcome. Actually, so did I. All right. Um, one of the things that I found, I just wanted to just put something out there that I found the word community uh-huh. where pretty much everybody from all backgrounds, mm-hmm. all formats of mistakes and life trials uh-huh. are accepted regardless because uh-huh. we don't look back, we look forward. Yeah, yeah. And this is what inspires me to do the long walks to raise money uh-huh. because I know at least my time and effort will be appreciated. And again, thank you for letting me participate. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, I I have to say, I, um, I was kind of a community skeptic for a long time because I am not big on just getting on Zoom calls and stuff, but um, I've uh, been coming a, a few times for streaming and other things to the really early morning call they have, which is eight o'clock for you guys. That's not early, but it's six o'clock for me. And, um, and there's like over 70 people there sharing in th- just things like the daily schedule of events. And I'm like, that's, that's real commitment. That's, that's real, really cool. And that's something we can harness and that's part of our future. And ACB is the only organization that I know of in the disability arena. So this is not about NFB or ACB. This is real stuff. We, all of our board meetings are totally open. All, many of our committee meetings are, um, but the board, the board of publications, um, and many, many of our community, you know, things, um, are, are totally open for you to attend. And I remember when I first came to the organization, part of this was technology, but, you know, the only time you ever got to a board meeting was if you were able to go in person to, um, you know, to the leadership conference. They used to call that mid-year back in my day. And, um, and the, and the next national convention and otherwise you didn't know except for what you read in the braille forum you didn't know what the board was doing and it wasn't on purpose it's just that we weren't able to deploy the technology in that way so i think that that has made a huge difference in being accessible to our members let's take one One more more question i'm sorry what um you mentioned the video the website and software Uh uh-huh um, that does include that does include employers who have proprietary software, right? 
She wants to know if the, the um, web accessibility includes employers who have proprietary software. You know, that's already covered in for many, many employers um, under the ADA. And um, it so this is much more about public um, software and websites. And the issue for this comes from the fact that um, Title III of the ADA is perceived by many legal jurisdictions to only cover brick and mortar accessibility. But if you're Amazon, your brick and mortar is never open to the public. <laughs> I've placed people there. I can tell you it's not easy to get in that building. Um, so, so basically, um, this is really not about employment, and for the most part, except for fairly small employers, uh, employers, including those with proprietary software, have obligations to reasonably accommodate. And so um, there's action that can already be taken in most of those cases. Well, Deb, thank you so much for being here. It was great having you. I wish you could have been here in person, yeah. as we talked about, but just didn't make sense. All right. Our next guest is Christine Kuninen, Quinnen, I'm sorry. And Christine is the senior manager of Metro Mobility. And I'm going to start this by saying everyone in this room, almost everyone in this room uses Metro Mobility, our paratransit system in the greater Minneapolis St. Paul area. We all have our horror stories for Metro Mobility, and we all have our stories about that wonderful driver who went the extra mile and helped us. Today, we'll find out the latest news and updates and get our questions answered and our concerns addressed. However, due to time constraints, please don't share those stories, good or bad. I'm sorry, we just don't have time for that. Christine, you are on the line? I am. Thank you, everyone. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Christine. I'll just let you talk for a bit, and then we'll open this to questions. So um, first off, I want to thank um, thank you for inviting me, and particularly in Metro Mobility, to your conference today. I, th- I think it's the first time I've been in front of your group. I don't know if any of my staff has ever been invited. Um, but I do appreciate the opportunity. Andy's um, I, been here in the past, but we're really glad. Oh, to have you? Here. Andy yes. has. Okay. Yes. So then, you know, Andy, um, which is wonderful. Um, he, I lean on him. He's my right hand um, for, uh, you know, anything related to customer experience and issues out in our system. So that's good to know. I want to, I want to just key off a couple of things that Deb said in the previous presentation, you know, creating collaboration, you know, having, um, you know, us transportation um, on the agenda today, that is all about collaboration. As you know, we are a contracted service. So, you know, from the from square one, we we have business partners we collaborate with, to make sure that our transportation meets the requirements of the Metropolitan Council. Um, And then, of course, stakeholder collaboration, outreach. You know, we don't get enough opportunity to do that. We have a limited staff in the TC, or excuse me, in the MMSC, the Metro Mobility Service Center, to connect with people. So it's these kinds of opportunities that I really embrace, and I thank you for being here. You know, just a little for me, um, 
you know, my background is all public transportation. It is not serving the disability community per se, nor is it a subject matter expertise with serving the disability community per se. I've been um, the senior manager of Metro Mobility for five years. Previous to that, I worked 25 years at Metro Transit, working primarily in their bus operations and their rail operations and their bus transportation administration. So, so other than how public transit at large serves the, the community, um, I don't have personal expertise um, in serving um, you know, the, the community disability community. So the last five years has been a amazing and wonderful learning experience for me, collaborating with um, experts, users, uh, customers of our system um, with varieties of needs has been a really important thing for me. And I plan to, to kind of finish out my career if they'll have me um, serving in this way. I find it very enriching and a really important and, and perhaps even areas where there's the most gap um, in our public transit system is the accessibility of our system at large. So um, anyway, that's, that's me. Um, I know we have about a half an hour and I want to get to your questions and your feedback. I will give you a few updates on what's going on with Metro Mobility. Um, you know, we are unfortunately um, in the middle of kind of a pretty harsh winter. The last few weeks have been brutal. Um, I think we've had the third largest snow accumulation um, in our region uh, to date so far this year. And then the ice storms have just come very untimely. And one that shut our system down for a couple hours in the wee hours of the morning came unforecasted. So um, it was, it's been hard and I want to acknowledge that. Um, but there are also brighter things on our horizon. I'm happy to note to, to report that about 90% of our ridership is back on our system compared to what it was pre-COVID. We dropped down to only about 20% um, in 2020. But then with food shelf delivery and other and healthcare worker transport, we got some ridership back for our business partners. But it's really only been last year um, that we've been back up to normal with our ridership. Um, but our bus operator workforce um, has suffered. The, the, the um, labor market for bus operators is really hard. Um, we, we were able, thankfully able to put in um, money, some budget monies to increase driver pay. And um, also happy to report that all of our providers, First Transit and Transit team are now back up to what they would consider um, enough drivers in the system, but so many of them are new. Um, hundreds hired just in the last year and that means, of course, um, a, a seasoning period or a training period, if you will, uh, that we're still working within for both transit team um, and first transit. But um, we're also with that taking opportunity with new drivers to um, examine our training protocols, our training programs. Um, and so there's a lot of work being done in that area. So I'm very interested in feedback that this group might have 
on areas that um, our providers should concentrate on for training. Um, other things to, to talk about, um, our, we've been able to add some staffing in our customer service center. Um, just got approved for that in the last quarter of last year. So I was able to post for two positions, two new positions for customer service center representatives for taking calls that should uh, reduce the hold times, the busy signals calling into our service center um, when those folks get hired. So that's also important. Um, real pleased with that investment in the system. I think that shows an acknowledgement that we really do need to have a comparable experience with people calling in to any other call center that they might that that you might call into. And we've just been too busy and too short-staffed of late. Um, also, we have we over the course of last weekend, we made a critical upgrade to uh, behind the scenes to our. Um, our scheduling software and dispatch system. We had an Oracle server upgrade last week, last weekend. It shut our system down, um, meaning the software that dispatch and reservations uses for about 14 hours. But what it did is it laid the groundwork for our next version of software. We are going to be in March bringing on a new scheduling and dispatch software for our providers that will bring us from what was their version 16 to version 21. So five version jump in what the, capa the capabilities are in our system. So what that means for the end user, our riders, all of you, is we will be able to add on things to that software like better mapping in our buses, um, better applications for tracking vehicles for customers on, on a smartphone, different things that we have not been able to support quite yet because we didn't have a good base. We didn't have a uh, robust enough base system. So we're excited about that. Um, we know it's commonly something that um, we get criticized for. We're just not up to date with some of the tracking uh, technology that um, others have and customers are used to. So um with that, though, I unless people have questions on projects or, or program updates from Metro Mobility um, that I can address, I'd I'd like to spend the rest of the time um, just answering questions and being available for comment and anything that I can bring back to my team or our contracted providers. Okay. Good afternoon. Um, thank you for being here today. My question, and I don't know if this is the right area, is about the iHail app. This is in conjunction with Same Day Metro. Mm -hmm. The app is not accessible with VoiceOver on the iPhone. Um, and I don't know who to direct my comments to because I do want to be able to take it and use it like Uber Lyft so you can track your ride and I'm not able to use the app because it's just completely not accessible uh, with, with voiceover on the phone. Um, I also comment, love the tracking feature for the ride. I use that all the time on the app on the phone, and I love the 10-minute call. So thanks, guys. Um, thanks for my comments. Thanks. Yeah, hi, thank you. No, I think directing that question to me is appropriate. Um, thank you. I, I am not, of 
course, the owner or, or um, developer or the, of the IHEL app. It is a product um, from our uh, transportation plus our taxi provider. Um, but I, we, they are under contract to us. Um, the IHEL app is something that we we link to, or at least you know, um, the sign up linked to from our webpage. And um, I am responsible for uh, making sure that that contract uh, does what it's it's supposed to do. And and one of those things is that their application needs to be accessible. So um, I will take that back. You're an iPhone user. Um, you say it's not accessible with voiceover not functioning. Um, is that all of the time or are there certain features within the app that that kind of get messed up for you and and also do you happen to know whether the same experiences for android users um i am an iphone user this is randy i cannot speak to android uh it was very very nigh to impossible to sign into the app with my metro mobility id that was number one once you're signed in um voiceover does not allow me to tap into the starting address and the destination um, it doesn't even allow me to tap in there. It recognizes the fields, but it does not allow me to tap in to put my start and end address. So the app is, there's no point in using it because it's Got it. unusable. Thank you. Um, I should note this too. When you run a voiceover on the iPhone, it does change how the operating system interfaces with apps and how we as blind people interface with apps. So that's very important to note. Yeah. Okay. Didn't know if you. Thank knew you. Thank no, you. thank you. That's excellent. Um, and and I will take this back right away. It is you know a requirement in our contract that the app is accessible. So um, I will connect with Andy to see what he knows, um, and connect with our uh, partner Transportation Plus to understand what's going on and what their development plan is um, uh, to make that. So that that's unfortunate. I know those features are really important and we, you know, we're happy to be able to offer our taxi via app and booking via app. But of course, it, it's um, not good if it doesn't work for everyone. So thank you. And Christine, if you'd keep me appraised so of that course. I can let everybody know in our membership. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Happy to. Right. Next question. Hi, this is Catalina Martinez from Medina, Minnesota, and thank you for being here, speaking with us. I have a comment and a question. My question is, the GPS on the buses, are they going to be updated? So that is the million-dollar question, and I've been hearing it for the entire five years that I have worked in this job. And I will tell you, it has been so frustrating to me that I have never been able to get a very good answer to this question. Um, the because the answer is complicated, and most people's eyes glaze over when they think of you know it, it sounds so convoluted. I, it doesn't even sound truthful. But here's the truth: um, the trapeze trapeze is the name of the software that we run in our dispatch centers, and it is what is on the ranger system on our buses. Um, we have two choices with trapeze: we can go with a ranger. Or we can go with a tablet. Um, we've been going with a ranger because it's really the only good and proven uh, technology for a system our size in the northern climates that we have. 
that we what what we plan to do and what is on our work plan for 2023 is we are going to be piloting a tablet on about 50 of our buses as soon as we get our software upgrade in place and systemized. So it'll probably be quarter two, um, late spring, early summer of 2023 here that we will pilot that. What the tablet does is it gives us Google mapping. What the Ranger does is an old school map that, that requires a lot of labor intensive updating to the map layers in our software behind the scenes. It's clunky. It doesn't refresh with updated addresses, detours, live traffic, or anything like that, as you all know. But it is what we have. And getting to a Google solution via Google mapping has been tough. But we, the, the, the first layer of groundwork was laid last weekend when we got the Oracle server upgrade. The second layer will be our Trapeze software upgrade in March. And then the third will be our piloting of this 50 uh, bus tablet solution for mapping. Um, there is also to the side of that, that we will be testing a real-time traffic feed into the Ranger. It doesn't update the mapping, but it does give some real-time traffic updates to the driver. So if a road is closed, there's a major accident with delays, Trapeze will understand that and perhaps reroute. So we're trying, we're, those are the two different options available to us with this new version, real-time traffic on the Ranger or a, a Google mapping on a tablet. We'll try both. Um, we are a large system. We operate in the cold. Um, tablets don't do great in below in, you know, freezing temperatures. So that adds a layer of the driver having to go from the, you know, the, the garage facility, take a tablet with them, bring it to the bus, connect it in. That adds a complication and a, and a failure um, potential. Um, so we, we're going to be testing that. Um, but um, to answer your question, yes, uh, what that will look like, we don't know yet. When that will come as soon as possible. We have the funding for it. It's a matter of testing out the technology solutions that are available to us in a system our size. Thank you. And what I did want to say is I know we all complain, moan and groan about the system. <laughs> yeah. I have been in different mobility companies around the country. Let me tell you, folks, we have got it good. Yes. <laughs> a lot of stuff here that other places don't even have. And we're very lucky. We are, we are one of the better ones, so enjoy it. Well, thank you for but I compare to the experience of the general public, and I, as long as everybody else, has had a Google mapping solution on my phone for years, and it just doesn't feel appropriate that we can't do that on a, on a public transit uh, system of, like ours. But Dial-A-Ride is a funny animal, um, and it's just, you know, you mix mapping in with scheduling rides, shared rides, all of that. Um, the, the software solution has just been a little tricky to, to come to with, with regard to mapping, but um, there's also proprietary contracts between Google and TomTom and the other um, companies that these software vendors contract with to get mapping in the system. So um, at any rate, 
Um, it's a big goal of mine. Um, I wish we could have done it easily a couple of years ago at least, but um, haven't been able to achieve it. We're trying. Thank I you. will say, I will say that, you know, from a ride tracking, you know, with our online booking system, with the web page, you know, there is a, a fundamental tracking feature, but I know that's not the same as mapping on the buses or, or you know, the whole, the whole um, answer. So at any rate, I see other hands. All right. Who's next? Hi, this is Suzanne. I am a um, speaking deaf blind client and I, I, I understand that um, for blind clients, the driver is supposed to be able to come in the second door, especially when there isn't a place to sit. And when standing in the vestibule, you are in the way of other people coming in and out. Um, so one thing I would suggest for training is please emphasize to the driver to read the notes. A friend of mine said, that one of the drivers said to her, why would I look all the way down there? Meaning the notes. Yeah. I have been left more than once um, because of that. So I would just emphasize that um, it's a very important thing to have the drivers read the notes. And also, um, I had thought that the notes were on my record for both trips, the trip to and the trip back. And I was told that that had to be done separately. When I asked, I had to specifically ask for each way. So the most important way was coming home because that's when I'm waiting in a public place. And it took me a year or so to find that out. So um, is that something that the just that the um that they should tell me at the beginning that or they should be automatically doing it for both ways rather than just one that's an excellent question i will bring it back i i i will confess andy's better at how this all functions within the reservation system than i am um i will take the question back and i will get an answer back I will also make sure and see whether in our next version software does it better. I've been focusing on, you know, on the notes and tracking through for the go ride and the return ride. Um, in my mind, there should be a prompt where the reservation is asking at least about notes. Um, and then also, you know, checking to see if notes have carried forward. Um, of course, everybody's got different notes for different reasons, um, but I think it's we, we should have a, at least a prompt that there's a conversation um, around notes for the ride. Um, around, I'm, I'm hoping, and I, I believe this is the case, um, I've been told it's in the, this is the case, that with our next version software, the notes won't be so far down on the ranger for the driver have to scroll through all the way down to the bottom. You know, if I'm in the point of, if I'm in the position of a bus driver who's maybe had a bad day, a lot of snow, a lot of customers, just a lot, maybe they're running behind schedule. Scrolling to the bottom of the notes is probably an easy thing to try to skip past if it's time consuming or what, whatever reason. 
But I take your point that it is probably the most, one of the most important parts of the execution of the ride is making sure that any specific notes that that customer needs for their pickup or their drop off are looked at um, for all the reasons that that are obvious and that you described. So, um, you know, I believe that that's the case. I know that with the tablet solution, it's much easier for the driver to see um, notes than the Ranger where they have to physically scroll down with a button to see the bottom of the manifest. Um, So it's unfortunate the way it's laid out. But I take your point um, that that should be highlighted in training. So thank you. I want to thank you for for the Metro conversations that took place this week. Oh. I found the system very easy to use, and I've never joined a Zoom room, and it, I was actually intimidated. I, if I thought, if I can't get in, I'm not doing this. <laughs> but it was just a matter of clicking right there. The link was there, and I really appreciated my chance to offer feedback. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Good. You know, I, it's nice to hear the positives when we, you know, we always had the in-person conversations in previous years, of course, before COVID. And then we didn't, you know, then we've been doing the virtual ones. I think we've been getting better every time. Every time there's a lessons learned. Um, of course, some people just want to come in person. Yeah. But, you know, I think the solution might be in the future. We have both an in-person and a virtual offering. Um, so thanks. I'm glad to know it worked well for you. First of all, I wanted to say thank you for the service and whether what Catalina was talking about, other places in the country do not have it anywhere near as good as we do. And the question I, I wanted to put out there is that the online booking has been a very much a godsend, especially when your lines get jammed up. Thank you. Thank you. Get this to- I appreciate that. While while the mic is getting to Nikki, one thing that I mentioned to Christine over the phone as far as a training need is concerned uh, with the new drivers, we have had some instances where some of the drivers are very fearful of the guide dogs. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Christine did say she would make sure that that got addressed in training. Yeah, good call on that. Yeah, thank you. And it's not the first time I've heard it. And um, uh, yeah, because we had the community conversations this week, we were able to, you know, communicate with our providers on on training. So um, I've got it starred here. Um, so we'll make sure it, it becomes a uh, highlight. It's tough. You know, every you hire hundreds of new drivers. And the labor market is such that you need to train people on the job and every individual needs different kinds of training. But if they're not, if we have drivers that are not comfortable uh, working with service animals or being around service animals, they're, they're not a fit for Metro Mobility. They could be a fit for driving another service, a school bus or what have you, but they're certainly not a fit for Metro Mobility. So we want to get that out right away. And then, of course, if people still want the job and, and want to work through whatever inherent fears or cultural fears that they have, um, then we'll support them in, in working through those things. So your feedback is certainly important with that. And complaints. Hey, complaints. People sometimes are afraid to complain. Don't be afraid to complain. It's how our system knows about a problem. Um, it's part of the, part of the process of um, continual improvement is to complain. So um, All right, we'll take one last question from Nikki, and then we're going to need to get on with our next presenter. 
All right. Thanks, Christine, for coming and speaking to us today. Um, of course. I've got a question. I've been told multiple times that drivers don't have to listen to clients when they're telling them where they live or whatever. Um, I've had drivers try to listen to the GPS getting to my house, and my house is really hard to find, and the GPS gets them off. Yeah. I'm trying to tell them where to go, and they're like, the GPS isn't telling me. I told you not to listen to it. Yeah, that that's that's I I, I, I thank you. Um, <laughs> I think we're, regardless of what mapping solution we end up with, drivers should always listen to clients. I can, of course you you know I'm it's probably not a surprise I should say that, but I also want you to know that we've got a we've been um, imploring our providers to make sure that drivers know they're not alone out there. There is a dispatch center and the driver's job is not to figure everything out in the field all by themselves. The driver's job is to communicate to dispatch if some if they need some support. If they've got something on the map that doesn't make sense to them and they've got a customer giving them different information, it's really a team effort in getting it right. Um, and, and I think that because a driver spends their entire day out in the field, it, it can maybe be a tendency to feel like they're out alone. They got to figure everything out alone. They don't. Dispatch is there with a system-wide view to help them to help answer questions and give guidance. So yes, the, the driver is supposed to listen to the customer. If there's a conflict that they need help with, they should be calling dispatch. Sometimes it takes them a long time to do that. Christine. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I know. And sometimes we end up with customers that are long and dropped off at the wrong spot. And so I understand it on the other side of out of things too. So, but yeah, no, I mean, it's a team effort. That's my point of view. So I'll keep reiterating it. Christine, thank you so much. And I, I we could probably sit here all afternoon with questions. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. we just don't have the time. Thank you for sitting in for Andy and for coming to join us. And thank you all for your thoughtful and good questions. I'm going to turn the mic over to Patty now. Of course. Have a good day, everybody. Okay. Now we're going to be on for our last speaker of our informative and educational day. And these two women that will be coming on are, especially the one I know is a very dynamic diversity type person. She is an author and has been a, a life coach for many years. She reigns from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And she has another person speaking with her. Lynn Schneider is from Wilmington, Delaware. And they both serve on the new American Council of the Blind Mental Health Resource Committee, which has just been instigated, which I think is great. So I'm going to introduce Pam Shaw and Lynn Schneider are going to talk about you are not alone in social isolation and your mental health. Pam, take it away. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. It is so exciting to be here with ACB of Minnesota. Congratulations on a great state convention. I've been able to listen a little bit. And let me tell you, relative to your last speaker, I live outside of Philadelphia and we don't have all that. 
Okay, so it's great to be here. With our theme this afternoon, You Are Not Alone, I have one of my colleagues from the Mental Health and Wellness Committee. And um, I, I just want to say a quick little bit about myself, and then I'll turn it over to Lynn for an introduction. Uh, one of the most exciting things for me and why I'm here is because basically I care about people. And that always compels me to do whatever I can to help. The other thing is, as was said to you, I have worked in the field of mental health. Uh, I've been on both sides of the table and had lots of training and lots of fun. But I'll tell you, there's nothing more rewarding when you can help someone out who just needs a hand. Lynn, why don't you go ahead and say a few words about yourself? Hello, and thank you guys so much for inviting me. My name is Lynn Schneider. I am from Wilmington, Delaware, where we seem to struggle with many of the same transportation issues that I heard you guys speaking about. Um, and we are also fortunate to have a good system compared to many other places. Um, but my my reason for, first of all, you you all might know me if you listen to the ACB crafters chat on Friday. I facilitate on that call. And um, I really believe that creativity is an excellent um, antidote to all sorts of issues. So uh, I was a medical transcriptionist for over 25 years. Um, I worked on a crisis hotline here in Delaware for quite a few years. And I am also a caregiver. for my mom and my also my dad who passed away um, a while back and caregiving is absolutely something that is near and dear to my heart it is one of my passions and i think that uh the reason i wanted to be on the committee was because i see um in my own personal life i i've seen what treatment can do what what um, correct attention to issues can do for a person, um, and I know that in in the blind community we don't like to talk about these things because we do try to I think um, have sort of a stoic. Um, we don't want to look. Um, we try to present ourselves to society as being tough and. And, you know, um, we don't want the stigma of having um, these challenges. And I think that we are at our core. ACB is at its core an advocacy organization. And so my goal is to um, find out how the membership um, has been experiencing the mental health systems where they live. Yes. Thank you. Sure. Thanks. I appreciate that. And it's it's good mm-hmm. to have you here. And I tell everyone, I hope you get to know Lynn better because she's a great lady and brings a lot of her gifts and her life and her lived experiences, as well as her training to the committee. Just a brief overview about the committee, before, of course, before we jump in. On July 1st, 2022, ACB President Dan Spoon, with the support of the Board of Directors, established the Mental Health and Wellness Committee, MHWC. The major focus of this group is to identify areas of needed advocacy surrounding mental well-being among persons who are blind and visually impaired. 
the MHWC will present programs with the goal of sharing information about mental health and wellness while actively fighting the stigma surrounding prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of mental illness. It's interesting because we're going to be distributing information, um, things like hotline numbers and state and local registries, and we'll also be a part of some organizations we're establishing relationships with some that should help everyone. We are not here this afternoon in, in the pure sense of the word as mental health professionals. We're not going to be giving any advice and we will not be doing therapy, but I think we're going to have a lot of good dialogue and the opportunity to talk about a real challenge in our country today. So that's why we've come. We intend on having a conversational and interactive a time together, so don't be surprised when you are called on. I think we need to put this topic of um, isolation and loneliness into perspective. We in this country are in a loneliness epidemic. Isn't it interesting that we have more ways to stay in touch with each other and to stay connected, yet the reports of loneliness and social isolation are very, very high. I want to sound the alarm on this one. Loneliness can be lethal. And so many of us here, I'd say almost all of us, are in a high-risk category for loneliness and isolation. You might ask as we talk about this, what in the world are we talking about? Because they are, they're two different words, but many times I notice people will use them together. But I want you to think about this. Social isolation is the lack of social contacts and having new people to interact with regularly. Think about this. You can live alone like I do and not feel lonely or socially isolated. And you can feel lonely even if you're in a crowded room. So just by a yes or whatever you can do, has anybody in our audience ever been lonely? Yes or no? Yes. Notice something that I thought was interesting just in terms of some of the facts. Do you know that being lonely, feeling lonely and being socially isolated can increase your chances, your risk of death by 25%, and even in some cases, 30%. It tells us that, that social connections have a profound impact on our risk for getting certain diseases. I thought this was interesting. Cancer, diabetes, obesity as some of them. And it's been said that loneliness is as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So that ought to suggest to us that it's an important topic and something that we need to pay attention to as individuals, members of the community. And we know that one third of Americans report feeling alone, feeling sad. And of course, it, it contributes to mental health. We'll be saying more about that later, but we'll have a chance to talk about it and get upfront and personal with you. That does not mean you have to serve your personal business, say, you know, give us your personal business, but we want to have some time to talk. 
One of the things, too, to consider, if you are in certain age groups, your risk for um, conditions that result as a result because of loneliness are, are higher. So the age groups, and I think that you could suggest yourself some of them, adolescents, young adults, and older adults are at the highest risk of complications because of um, these kinds of issues. And of course, you can accelerate it because if certain things happen, you're also more likely to be at risk. And they would include, you know, um, if you have the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or there are major health issues, physical health issues, you're in those categories too. And one of the things to think about, and I found this interesting, according to recent studies, the more time you spend on the internet and social media engagement actually is promoting more loneliness. I would have thought that there would have been less, but that's what the data shows, and I think we should pay attention to that. As I said to you, this is an individual issue, but I want you to know it's a community issue as well. So those are just a few of the facts. Lynn, would you now take over? So I think that um, we we know most of the causes, right? Transportation of um, you know lack of social inclusion, transportation inaccessible environments, um, negative attitudes from society. Um, and one thing I want to sort of focus on is things that we might be able to maybe fix. Um, some of the causes in my own research and my own experience, by the way, families. Um, families can be a good or a bad influence. I think sometimes families can, pre can put up barriers um, to social inclusion. They don't recognize the importance of it. They don't encourage it. Um, they may be afraid for people to get involved in organizations. So families could be our ally, but many times they're not really. Um, blindness skills. This is another um, reason for social isolation. As people, and you know, Pam can talk more about the aging part of it, but the lack of blindness skills makes people feel um, like they're not, they're uncomfortable. For example, going to restaurants or, you know, um, just being with people. Maybe they just don't feel, um, and they, there also are um, like things like economic issues. You know, economics is, is certainly um, a, re a cause of isolation. Um, one of the things that, I know we'll talk about COVID and co the COVID situation now is sort of um, changing so that people, there are more treatments and the people have a much better chance of survival with vaccination and, you know, hospitals really know how to handle um, COVID much better. The problem is that many people have what we call, uh, they call re-entry anxiety. They're really afraid now to socialize, right? Because there's fear of getting sick from COVID or anything else out there. And I think um, a lot of people really are still quite frightened of being out with people um, because uh, of that issue. Um, I think social isolation, I think what we all do is we check in with each other. 
right? Those of us who, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I check in with the people around me. And it's something I do without even thinking about it, right? How are we doing? How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Um, when my mom starts, I notice her breathing a little bit heavy. You know, I'll, I'll say, okay, we need to check that um, oxygen level and we need to check the fluids. How is our ankles? You know, so I'm sort of, you know, now it's, I don't even really think about it, but we all do it, right? We wake up and we check in with each other. Mm-hmm. People who have social isolation are kind of not checked in on. And this can, this can lead to lots of problems. Um, one of the things that happen is that people don't take their medications properly when they're isolated. A lot of times people don't eat. Um, I know with my mom that a lot of times, you know, I'll say, are you, you know, hey, mom, what would, would you like to eat? And she'll say, oh, no, no, I'm not hungry. But if I bring food in and I sit with her and we talk and we eat together, she will eat. And so, you know, nutrition is an issue. Um, so um, um, I think these are things, you know, I think isolation is is maybe trivialized. But if we are, as an organization, concerned about our members, um, and their quality of life, then I think that social isolation really does need to be uh, a priority for our committee. So I'll turn mm. it back over to Pam, who is my okay. mentor and is teaching me all about being on committees. This is the first committee I've been on. So <laughs> Pam, thank you very much for trying to keep me from going astray. <laughs> well, number one, I hope you'll stay. And number two, I hope it won't I be the last so committee that you'll be with because of this experience. She's teaching so me the thank you. you will know that Janet teases me about the time that we spent together working on the convention. <laughs> Janet, am I right yeah. about that one? <laughs> well, yeah. it's going to be time mm-hmm. for some um, audience Yes, you are, Pam. You are very oh. correct about that one. <laughs> Pam, <laughs> Pam was my first ACB mentor. And <laughs> she's happened. still doing it. <laughs> and it's important to have mentors. It really is, especially for the yeah, new folks so. like me who are being brought into the into the fray and um, learning the ropes. So, yeah, and that's been part of the joy. That's part of the joy because I think when we do something like this, we recognize we have a lot of talent in our organization and a lot of interest and a lot of willingness. And I think we want to be intentional about opening those doors and creating those opportunities. So thank you, ladies, for both of your comments. Well, we are going to have some quote unquote audience participation. And Janet and you, whomever can help out with this, we want to take three people, just three, to give us an example of when and how they have experienced social isolation. When and how they have experienced social isolation. Hi, this is Jennifer. Um, Hi, Jennifer. I have bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And right, this is the most ironic time that I felt loneliness was right before the pandemic started. And so when the pen, I ended up in the psychiatric ward for a week right before the pandemic. And then when I got out, it was because I was so lonely, I was suicidal. And I told the doctor, I said, 
you know, I just need more in my life. So they got me something to do. But then the pandemic hit and everything Um, went Zoom and video conferencing. And talk about the worst time in the world to hit when I just needed Mm -hmm. some help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jennifer, for sharing that. You raised something that I think is important. And it has to do with the relationship between loneliness and isolation, social isolation and the pandemic. Now, I will tell you that those of us who were already practicing in mental health, we had already seen before the pandemic a rise in social isolation and loneliness. And for many people, what this did, though, is it shined a light on it and it brought it out. And the good part was, though, we saw that um, at least in ACB, and you heard Deb Cookler was talking about this earlier, about that whole sense of community. And we saw the community come in to make a difference. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing and being open. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm going to take the liberty. Well, I've got the mic. Uh, this is Nancy. Nancy, speak speak a little closer to the mic. This is, this is Nancy. And um, I've lived alone for the last well, almost nine years, I guess, when my husband passed away. And with the pandemic, it was really tough for me. I mean, I was alone all the time. And so I just found every day I went out for a walk. And um, I've got a dear neighbor who does call and check on me once in a while. I, I've got siblings that don't. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and thank goodness, you know, they they, they say they care and they um, do checks. So, yeah, it's... I, I and I kept telling and I go over to senior center a lot and I kept saying oh. we need to open this again because I spend a lot of my time over here <laughs> and I said you need to hear this from me and so you know the senior dining started back and the center's open and mm-hmm. so again it's advocacy sometimes you have to advocate for but my help okay I got more hands up here here's, here's a two- thank you Nancy mm-hmm. okay thank you okay um, this is Nikki Kobe, and I just want to say hi, Lynn. But also, hi, Nikki. Um, I will be honest. I felt socially isolated from about 2007 through 2019, 20 or so. Um, mm-hmm. I developed chronic pain and depression and a lot of other stuff, and it became very hard to feel like okay, I'm blind, and that didn't isolate me so much, but then I started to deal with chronic pain, and then my mom died. So it was very, very hard. And then for me, one of the best things to happen was, I mean, not one of the best things to happen. I don't, this sounds horrible to say, but the, you know, Clubhouse and the pandemic really started to give me interaction. And also Mm -hmm. I started to get um, staff members, people that their job, they get paid to help me out and Mm -hmm. they helped me out. Um, And just the fact that they were coming over, you know, once or twice a week or sometimes more. And I had someone to talk to because I love my dad to death, but he and I do not see eye to eye. Mm -hmm. And so that was what helped me and i still feel isolated but not quite to the extent i did before 
got you. Thank you yeah. for pointing that out, that it, it mm-hmm. almost phases. And Linda, since you seem to know, Nikki, any comment for her? I think that um, family, I did mention family relationships and how families can be, um, you know, a, a, a good thing, right? But they can also be a barrier. And, um, you know, a lot of times, like, like Pam mentioned in the beginning, that we can be in a room full of people and still feel isolated. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we, we, I guess what we're all looking for is to be understood, um, to be accepted, um, and, and to connect. And so I think what's important is that, Nikki, you found connection through Clubhouse. You know, you found people who um, could relate, you could relate to, um, and it's, it's sort of a shame, isn't it, that the people around us sometimes will not or cannot um, provide us with the kind of relationships that we want. And so that's where technology um, is good. Technology is great. It really is. I love it. Um, I just ordered myself a piece of equipment that I can't really afford, but need once. <laughs> Nothing like it. <laughs> um, yes. And, and so technology is great. I think, but I think that again, as, as humans, we do need connection. And I don't think we know technology is so young. Um, you know, the whole internet that we, we haven't really had time to study the effects. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see the effects on kids um, of technology. I mean, it could be good. And then of course, um, you know, not. So I think what's important here is that people find the kind of connection that they feel good about, that is healthy and helpful to them, um, be it technology or, or face-to-face or whatever. Um, Gotcha. Thank you. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. I'm going to very briefly here in, in response to a particular question that talks about how do you know the symptoms when you are actually operating in a, a, a world or in a space where there's social isolation and loneliness. I at one time served as the director of the Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services in Pennsylvania, but I had gone up to Harrisburg to work. But at home, things weren't going too well. Some things were happening with my mother. She was leaving the house and couldn't remember how to get back home. And when she did get back home, she was losing her keys. There was just a lot going on. She was forgetting to pay bills. And and I understood that something was happening, but I didn't know what it was. And then finally, it got to the point where um, my mom actually walked out of the house. She got lost, but she also got hit by a car. And so for a period of time, we didn't even know where she was. And that's when I made the decision that I was going to have to quit that job and go back home and take care of my mother, because I felt like that was my responsibility. I have, by the way, three brothers and two sisters, but it was my responsibility. And I brought my mom to live with me in my home for the remaining six years of her life. The challenge, and I didn't understand all this at that time because there were other things that had to go too. My activities in um, ACB and, and Pennsylvania Council of the Blind and even to a large degree my local chapter because my focus was on caring for her. I didn't even really understand, even as a mental health professional, I didn't understand what was happening to me. 
But I soon found myself in this strange place where I didn't feel like I knew myself anymore because I spent so much time with my mom as her condition deteriorated. We couldn't have good conversation. Any of you who ever dealt with caregiving, especially with somebody with dementia, you don't know what's going to happen each day. They can have a good day or they can have a challenging day. They can have a day when they know you and they can have a day when they do not know who you are. My mother actually asked me one day how my mother was doing. And so what what I began to find out about myself was I became less interested in things outside of that world. And um, as I stepped away, I didn't have some of my activities through ACB at various levels. I wasn't keeping up with my friends. And the other thing that I did, because I was so focused on her, I allowed my own health to deteriorate. And so it's not as simple as it sounds, but how I found out what was wrong with me, believe it or not, was in my mother's doctor's office. And he said, you know, as her caregiver, I want to know how you were doing. What a great doctor, I would tell you. I said, who, me? <laughs> you know. And so I learned that you can have symptoms of social isolation and not even know it. You can be lonely, as we often do, with things that are troubling us, and we push them away so that we're actually beginning to cover up. And the third thing we do is we tend to, especially in a caregiving model, we will put our focus somewhere else that enables us to forget about it. But I will say this to anybody relative to caregiving. The best caregiver that you can be is the treating yourself as well as possible. So pay attention to you in your own life. If you're finding yourself retreating, not eating right or eating more, sleeping, sleeping becomes very, very difficult. That's one of the symptoms they talk about. You become more irritable. Now, in my case, I used to say more irritable than usual, okay, but you can really find yourself. Your relationships get poor and you live in a place of stress. Also, please be careful because this is also one of the symptoms of social isolation is if you begin to um, consume um, certain types of things like more alcohol and things like that, uh, you misuse your medication and things like that, they can also be signs of isolation. Now, and the main cause we find really of social isolation just tends to be the reduction in our personal interactions. So thank you for allowing to share a bit of that. Lynn, take it away. Yeah. And I love, Pam, what you were saying about the the coping, what they call the maladaptive coping strategies that we use mm-hmm. as caregivers. You know, we the, when they talk about COVID-19, they're not just talking about a virus. They're talking about the 19 pounds we all gained while we were sitting at home, isolated. And the thing is, is that not only, and, and this is true for caregiving too, when you're in a constant state of anxiety, it really, it takes away your creativity. You know, this is, you know, it's exhausting. You just feel this exhaustion and it's really hard to even define. But I think the whole idea, this is, this is interesting. My, my best, advice about caregiving comes from the airlines right the planes we get on what's the first thing they say when they're talking about 
if we lose cabin pressure, the masks are going to drop down, right? We're all like, oh, yikes. Yeah. And they, what do they say? Put your mask on first before Mm -hmm. trying to help other people. And there's a reason for that. It's not selfishness. It's self-preservation. And I think, so um, I know that caregiving is, might be a little bit outside the scope, but I think that, that taking care of yourself is, well, it's necessary. It's like breathing. It's like mm. sleeping. You have to. You just, we're not machines. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that is why caregiving is such a passion of mine. Um, uh. And we, we've talked a lot about the problems. And, and I think, you know, the thing is, is that many of these problems are difficult. But I also think many of them do have solutions if we can put our heads together and at least start the conversation and start the solution talk. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I told Pam, I believe in solution talk. I, I go to a lot of meetings and I hear people talking about the same problems over and over at infinitum and no one ever seems to have an answer. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. some, I, I, you know, in, 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 on some level, we have to start talking about the problem and we have to get into solution talk. I mean, that's uh, maybe it's not easy, but, you know, I, I believe it's worth it. And I believe the effort is worth it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I agree with you. I think that, you know, it's not just the individual, but we need to talk as communities um, and, and whether that community is people who are caregivers or somebody's issue may be aging and things like that. Because when we look at a lot of what causes that isolation, you know, when we try to understand the effects of social isolation on people, particularly um, our mental health and our physical health. And like I said, one thing like you, Lynn, when I was doing the research, I was really surprised at how many areas just being lonely can change. And I was glad that you mentioned some of them earlier because as blind people, I think you all would agree that we have some challenges that are unique. And, you know, I often tell people, this is I, this my thing. It's not like I can jump in the car, you know, and run somewhere and do something. Uh, a lot of what has to help me has to be present because I can't always go get it, you know. And, and so... You can look at some things and you can say, you know, am I spending a lot of time alone, especially when you live alone? Uh, do you feel, do you get to the point where you don't even want to be around people because it's just too much? That's a sign of loneliness, even though it might not look like it at first glance. You know, the, what do I look for? I was giving myself this test. Okay, this is a silly test, so it's not real, but it was just something I did. I wanted to tell whether I was experiencing some social isolation by which community calls I wanted to get one on and which ones I didn't. And there were times I didn't want to be on one of those community calls where you kind of had to talk or something like that. It was very, dis- you know, discussion focused. I just wanted to listen. But I was probably making an excuse. Now, let's be clear. Sometimes you feel like people and sometimes you don't. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you are lonely. But when it gets to an excess and it affects your life and you won't even deal with some of the things that you need to deal with. And I also noticed that um, look at some of the relationships you do have. Are they perhaps unhealthy? And therefore, even you may have, you may have this relationship, but it doesn't do good for your mental health. 
sometimes we can spend so much time being busy that one thing that busy helps us to do is avoid. And what about how you spend on your time on social media? What do you do there? You know, and so we have to be careful. And what we're going to do now, because, we, gee, we've been having so much fun, the time is kind of flying by, because we want to make sure that we allow plenty of time for you to raise issues and you to share and you to ask questions. And also, the, it will be helpful because then we, as we're on the committee, we can say that, you know, somebody raised this with us. How can the committee, how can this initiative of, you know, being stigma-free and a CB, how can we help? So, um, Janet, whatever the you know recognition procedure is, all right. Fine. Nancy, you want to run for me again? There, and there is a hand in Zoom when. Oh, all right. Let's get the Zoom hand first while Nancy, Nancy in person <laughs> is running our mic, and Nancy on Zoom is allowing someone to talk. Ah, I'm nuts for Nancy's. Yeah. <laughs> Dawn. Yes. Pam? Yes. I am Dawn Brush, and I have not seen you for so many years. Oh, my I'm gosh. from South Dakota, and it is so wonderful to hear you, and I would love oh to be gosh. on your committee. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Let me, before you say that, let me just let you know that wh how we're going to work on the committee, we're going to be developing series of um, work groups or subcommittees. So, hey, keep that in mind when it's announced to jump okay. in and let us know of your yes. availability. Thank um, you. Could I share a story about feeling lonely in a group? Okay. All right. Um, three years ago, a new school for the blind building was erected and opened in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And I went over for the birthday party at the school on March 1st. And I sat in one of the new areas with people that I was familiar with, knew, and, you know, we were all having cake and fun. And I felt so lonely. And I thought, hmm. what is wrong with me? I'm in a place where I know people, whatever. And I realized, because I, then I read that you can be with a group and be lonely. And I was so lonely for missing our old, wonderful campus that had been completely destroyed across the street. It had been, you know, knocked down and destroyed for this new place. Mm -hmm. And I certainly understand what you are talking about. And it is definitely true. Mm -hmm. And... um that's what I want to share and say hi, and I will, um, I will keep my eyes and ears open for committees. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Don't want any comment? Don't want any comment? For me? Don't. I said it wrong. I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh. Sorry, Lynn. Any comment? I I think that what's awesome is that we are actually talking about this because again, mm. I think as blind folks, we don't. We try to show that, that we're strong and independent, mm -hmm. and, and that's great, and we want to do that. But I think if we want to be the best people that we can be, we need to see our whole selves. Mm. You know, we need to see the whole picture. And if we can come up with ways and strategies um, so that and, – and also with us, Americans, be, we are sort of an individualistic society. Um, I know when the kids would come over to visit my, my mom, at first everybody had their iPhones and their iPads and they're all sitting there playing and not talking. And we had to make a rule. We had to make a rule that said, 
when you are here with grandma, you're going to put those iPhones away and you are going to look in her eye and you are going to speak. (laughs) And it was hard because Mm -hmm. you would, you would go in, you'd walk into a room and all these people were sitting there and nobody was talking because everybody was on their phone, tapping out messages or whatever, Mm -hmm. watching videos. And so putting limits on that kind of thing is really important for everyone's social health. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. That's great. All right, Nikki. I have a, I have a situation. Um, when everybody in March 2020, when everybody left work to go home. Excuse me one moment. I'm so, so sorry. Oh, I didn't get your name. Oh. I love to get names. Nikki Schlender. Okay. Hi, Nikki. <laughs> hey, Pam. Um, when I, when everybody had to pack up all their equipment from work and work from home at those mm. of us, those of people who could do it. I couldn't do it, and another colleague of mine, a few colleagues of mine couldn't do it because of internet speed. But when we, when I went back, the next day I went back, it was like a ghost town mm. in there. And I don't do well with silence <laughs> at all. So it was like mentally just, I was isolated because they not mm. only moved, my colleague and I, because we were right next to each other in cubes, they moved us two rows back from each other. So we pretty much had to yell at each other to say, what, what? <laughs> wow. You know, so I, I mean, to this mm-hmm. day, not everybody's back in the office yet. Mm-hmm, not everybody's mm-hmm. coming back to the office yet. So d- there are still days that I feel very isolated and very lonely in my own little cube. Mm-hmm. I got you. Nikki, thank you for that because you, you pointed out something I think is very critical is that a lot of what also can affect um, isolation and loneliness comes from outside. It's not all internal because, as you know, especially during the pandemic, some decisions were made for us. It wasn't whether or not you wanted to go. You couldn't go. And right. so we then had to take something that was, what would you say, directed um, upon us and then still kind of make it work. And we saw all kinds of interesting adaptations, which proves that we can adopt a little bit. You, you know what I'm saying, but I, I get you. I get you. Thank you. And I think that that brings up a, a really good point and it's sort of a little bit outside the scope of our discussion. But I think that we need to, as a society, we're going to have another epidemic of something eventually because viruses are smart and they outsmart our immune systems. And you know how that goes. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to learn lessons from the COVID epidemic. I think there was damage done that didn't need to be done. It was done with good intentions, but really hurt people more than health. And I think we need to think about that. And I hope that we learn something from the whole COVID thing. And you're right. You. The, the the directives now, everybody's supposed to return to work. My sister says the same thing. She, she had to return to work. And she said, supposedly, everybody is supposed to return to work. So why is it that I'm like the only one in the office? Where are the other people? You know, okay. so yeah, it's, you know. Just want to get ready right. to, did we have anybody else, Janet? I'm sorry. Yes. I didn't want to. We do. Right. Uh, Nancy, take the mic to Nan- to Randy, and then we'll get Debbie. Yep, I've got it. Good afternoon, uh, ladies. Thank you for presenting. Hello. 
day. Hello. My name is Randy. I'm Emma Lady. Just for those that don't know, <laughs> I spell it completely differently than a guy. Gotcha. Okay. So my question is, by the way, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you. And I'm trying not to cry. Um, but are there suggestions or ideas for our community as blind and visually impaired people? Because we talked about transportation. We talked about social economic issues. You know, a lot of us are on fixed incomes. And I think that is an important conversation for those of us that want to get back into society and want to get out to how do we overcome transportation issues? How do we overcome financial issues? Because I was sitting here thinking about that the whole time. So sure. that's just my, my comments and my, my questions. So thank you, ladies, for presenting thank today. You. Randy, I think you did something because I think this is sort of the segue. We're going to go ahead and take that other question, and then we're going to talk about some tips, okay? And we'll only have a few minutes to do it, but I think, Lynn, we can get a couple of them in. Oh, I think we had another question. Yep. Yes. Hand. Well, I'm Debbie Bach, and okay. I've got uh, – I'm friends with a couple. Um, they're both blind. Uh, they're both getting older. And I see them becoming, you know, more and more isolated. They're not going out. They're not doing the things mm-hmm. that they used to do. Um, you know, it just seemed, and I'm very concerned about them. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had a fall and got very sick as a result, and he's better now. But, you know, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. concerned, and I don't know as a friend how to help them. I mean, I can't be there for them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I, I, but I see it happening and I'm concerned about it. Thanks. And th- that's, mm-hmm. that's a major step is concern. Lynn, why yep. don't you give two tips and then I'll give two because I think we're going to actually end up speaking to these two ladies and then we'll close with a one minute. Right. And this is a little late start, Lynn, so we'll give you another few minutes. Oh, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, I don't really have, I I wish I had more solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we used to be a a society where we all belong to some kind of organization, right? A club or a a religious um, faith. And I think our our faith communities need to be going out more this is my personal opinion i'm not speaking for the committee right now that our our religious committee our uh, communities really need to make it a priority to visit the people that cannot come to um we need to be looking in on each other and Mm -hmm. and so i really believe that that that's um i don't know if they can receive this couple. Can they receive any kind of assistance in terms of? Excuse me, Lynn. We ha- don't do the individual thing in a context right. like but, this. But I'm wondering if there there might be a program that someone knows about that they can. I get you. Put these folks in touch with. Right. Um, it's a tough. It's very tough. I just think the, for example, if chapters could. One thing is, if we know that we have a member that can't come to meetings, can we somehow make sure that they are included, that, um, you know, somehow or another, we keep the connection with them? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, that's also really important. Um, And if we can educate families, um, 
I would like to see families educated better about the need for uh, persons with uh, who are blind or visually impaired to have the connections. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know you can't do it all. You know, it's you you can only do what you can do. But maybe Pam has more more solutions than (laughs) I do. I like solution talk, but I'm not. (laughs) Well, because you know how it is, I think that sometimes we look for solutions and some of the things we think about, they're far off, but there are a lot of things that we can do in our own little corner to make some things possible. So one of the things to think about is, now we're we're going to say a few things about people who are in situations, but I want to start with things that can be done to prevent loneliness and social isolation. So uh, I think uh, Lynn hinted at a couple of them. In our chapters, let's make sure that we have as much as possible some type of buddy system. We sometimes have to create the connectivity to check on one another. And so if we could take that same process and say, okay, we just put people together. All we want you to do is kind of check on each other in between meetings to make sure everything's okay. And if somebody's not coming to a meeting, we'll know what to do. The other advantage, because we found that sometimes, and even in our chapters, we don't even have each other's contact information. And so making sure that we're doing things like that. Another thing that you can do at the chapter level and the individual level is remember birthdays and special occasions. There's nothing like somebody letting you know that you care. There's a statement, I don't even know if they use it anymore, but they say send a Hallmark card to show that you care or something like that. So we can always do those kinds of connecting things with people, just acknowledging people. Share common interests. I've met some people through the community calls because we found out that we had a common interest and we were able to connect that way. So we want to start with the preventive side of people. One of the things I like by one of our questions with the person said, I know their habits. So I know when they're not doing as much as they normally do. And I know when they're not going out. That's a preventive mode because then you can say, I can step in. There are a couple of things you can do that's also preventive. You can ask somebody as you become friends with them through ACB, hey, if I can't ever reach you, is there someone that I can call to make sure that you're okay? See, those kinds of things help. Another thing that you may want to think about is so that you have it at your fingertips. What are some of the social service and mental health agencies? We're going to be talking about, uh, as the time goes on our committee, sharing some information about how to use hotline services and crisis intervention services, because in those, you're just a phone call away. And so you might be able to make a call. We have plenty of social services. If they're in aging, we know how to work with those agencies and get you connected and things like that. So you'll want to do that. So if you just keep the model care, this is what we used to find about. A, you do care. A, you are aware. R, you are resourceful. And E, you are educated. So if you show people, if you do that, you're going to be able to deal with a lot of the prevention and a lot of the crisis, but it will be our habit to start with caring. Lynn, you want to make a final comment and then I will make one? Sure. Well, I want to thank you all for, you know, inviting us today. And we're just, we're just starting. So we are, you know, getting ourselves together and we're trying to figure out, you know, what our priorities are. And we 
we certainly want to hear from everyone um, because you all have the experience that can help us set priorities. And um, you're going to get some um, opportunities to interact with us and sort of share your your own experiences um, as much as you want to, so that we get an idea of where the community feels the focuses need to be. Um, certainly, isolation is is one of the top ones, um, and I think again, we I don't have as much solution talk as I would like to. But I think that working together, we can come up with ways to help people um, to transition in, into, you know, with vision loss or aging or mm -hmm. whatever, that they know that at least people know where to go. We may not have the, we probably won't have the answers. I'm not mm. a professional. So I'm not going to pretend like I know things that I don't know. <laughs> you know? But um, thank you. You know, I think we we have to care about each other. Like Pam said, that is the first thing. I think that's the most the simple part of it. ACB of Minnesota, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. Um, I would love to be with you because I don't mind the weather. Minnesota means a lot to me. It's where I went to ski for light. And it's mm -hmm. also, I have relatives. and But what I wanted to make sure that I let you know is in May, the National Alliance on Mental Illness will be having its annual convention in Minneapolis. And it's a wonderful convention. But even so, in addition to the in-person, there's going to be a virtual. And it's one of those types of conferences where wherever you are on the continuum, whether you, you know, the professional, the educator, they do government governmental affairs, they do all kinds of things, and they do it on a very understandable level. It is worth the time if you'll be able to even attend uh, the virtual portion of it, and it's a good kind of orientation and way to think about some things. Last year, they had uh, workshops on everything, and so we'll get you some information and make sure that you know about that as, um, as well. Again, thank you. It has been a privilege. You'll be hearing from the Mental Health and Wellness Committee. Um, we will be doing what we do. We won't do everything. We can't do everybody. But we can make an impact as we speak as one voice through the American Council of Blind. Thank you again. I've been listening in, by the way. Thank you all. <laughs> so I'm yes. sticking around. Take care and thank you again. Thank you all. Thank yes. you so much, Pam and Lynn. Very very helpful, and a lot of us share a lot of great information. Janet has a couple of announcements. Then we're going to have some more door prizes before you have a break to go see all the vendors. All right, but not quite a break yet. Would someone please run next door and let the vendors know that we're ready for our little vendor overview? So I'd like them all to tear themselves away from their booths for a couple of minutes to just. All right, very good. All right, so if someone could please grab the other vendors, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we are going to give out a few door prizes. Uh, what do you have, Patty? Oh, you going to do mine? All right. Um, this is, I think it's a very cool collapsible water bottle with a carabiner on it so you can attach it to your belt or your purse or whatever you want. And it collapses down really small and you take the cover off and you pull on it and it makes a full-sized water bottle and you can even put a few ice cubes in it so it's it's really cool 
All right, because the number that the person who has this water bottle is Nikki Colby. Oh, that's oh. Well, at least it was it was the Nikki who doesn't have one. All right, very good, <laughs> Patty. Patty, what do we have next? Twenty dollar Amazon card from him. Oh, twenty dollar Amazon gift certificate from Hims. All right, and the person. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, Randy, but. That goes to Lisa Largis. She was, but she had to leave. She, she's a virtual attendee. Yep. Do we want to do one more? No. Oh. Um, $10 cash. All right. And that goes to, oh, Nancy Fritzum. Okay, we have two for the banquet. All right, very good. So now what I'm going to do is get this mic passed around to some of our vendors. Um, for those of you who are listening to us on Zoom, please stay with us because you'll get to hear what our vendors have available. And um, then we will break for our exhibit hall where we can talk with some of our vendors. We do have two vendors who are not um, here in person who have Zoom websites for today and their information is in the program and I will mention them as we get through our vendor overview. So I'm going to pass the mic across the table, Charlotte. We have Charlotte Lang and Mama Otters. Hello everyone, this is Charlotte Lang, aka Mama Otter of Mama Otter's Tidbits and I am here with my handmade gemstone and charm jewelry and for those of you that uh, were at the virtual auction, I do have plenty of dog breed and cat themed charm bracelets and earrings available at my table. So come by and see me. I do take credit cards and cash. Only thing I don't take is Monopoly money. Um, <laughs> so um, for those of you that are virtual, um, my website is www.mamaotter.com. I offer free shipping in the U.S., and uh, you can uh, shop to your heart's content on my website. You can also email me at uh, otter1 at gmail.com. And um, I have necklaces, bracelets, pendants, earrings of all shapes and sizes. So come on by and hook yourself up or someone special with some nice jewelry. Thank you. And everyone, all the vendors' contact information is in the um, program. Hi, I'm Becky Gleason. I have Hayward Gourmet popcorn and fudge. I have multiple flavors here with me of each. I have um, individual hot drinks. I have cocoa and cappuccino bombs, cotton candy, taffy. There are more flavors on the website that I didn't bring with me, but I've got a wide variety. I take cash and credit cards, and in an absolute pinch, PayPal. All right. Who's the third vendor that you said was right over here? What? All right. Hi, my name is Deb Sand, and I'm here as your Norwex independent consultant. So I have microfiber cloths, kitchen products, and um, availability to talk to you about body products as well. And it's a way to clean your home and yourself with less chemicals and only water, about 90% of your home. 
so come and check me out and I can talk to you more about it. I have a lot on my table for you to touch and feel. You can feel the difference between the different weaves of the cloth. Yes. I got the dusting bit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I agree. Wonderful products. Thank you. Hello, I am Kelly Bankson. I am here with Color Street. Um, Color Street is 100% real nail polish that is 95% um, dry and in a strip form. So a lot easier than doing uh, the liquid nail polish. We also have hand and nail care and have branched into a little bit of makeup with a tinted lip balm, lip primer. So if you have uh, dry lips in the winter, um, as well as um, nail strengthener and cuticle oil and some lipsticks. So stop by and see me. Thank you. Thank you. And the nail strips are so easy, much easier for blind people than nail polish. I'm going to try them. All right. Um, Earl or who? Yeah. One, one more? Earl, are you going to? Earl, you want to? I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know who's up in line, and I sure. was going to start calling people by name, but it just seemed easier to let the line go. So, Okay. Well, my name is Terry Mickelson, and I'm with JW.org, and we have uh, information uh, for those uh, blind and low vision about how the Bible can help them in their day-to-day -day living and also for a hope uh, for the future. And we have, uh, for those that like to take in information by listening, we have audio files that are, you can download free. All of our information is free on JW.org. What I think is interesting about some of the audio files, for example, we have the whole Bible on audio. And instead of just having someone read the Bible, there's different voices for the different characters so that you can sort of hear who's talking and you don't have to try and figure that out. And we also uh, have, for those that uh, like to take in information uh, with Braille, we have publications in Braille, uh, also with uh, technology for note taker, uh, screen reader. And we even have some videos of uh, Bible dramas that have the audio description. Well. And what's interesting that I found out is that the audio description does not interfere with the dialogue of the character. Sometimes the audio description overlaps the characters talking, and it sort of blows your mind. Uh, but this, uh, it's done in between. And so it's some of the information we have in all of it. Uh, you can download on jw.org. We can help you to do that. You can also get it on uh, Amazon Alexis, Google Assist. And uh, there's no charge for any of this. It's something that... We just want to make this Bible information accessible, uh, like we said, for the blind and the those who have low vision. Thank you, Terry. Now, there's Who's going to be about six of us, but we'll alternate at the table. So there's six of us volunteers that uh, wanted to come and be here with you. Wonderful. I, okay. Who's my next in line? Okay. Oh, okay, Chris. Chris. Hi there. I'm Chris Peterson from Penny Forward. Uh, some of you may be familiar with our Penny Forward podcast, which is available on our website for free. And if you're not familiar with it, um, I hope that you'll go and take a listen to it. It's, it's pretty good. Today, 
Uh, we're here to talk about Penny Forward and the financial education and financial counseling opportunities that we offer. Uh, a Penny Forward membership is just $9 a month or $99 a year. However, if you sign up at the convention today, we're offering a 25% discount on your first payment. So that's uh, if you sign up for the monthly subscription, $7 and uh, 25 cent, 24 cents, something like that. And, and if you sign up for a yearly subscription, you get a big discount because your first payment is, is uh, 74.25 so uh, of, of 99. So um, you save a, a bundle by doing that. Um, that gives you access to our self-paced online courses, our weekly members only group chats, uh, access to one-on-one -on -one financial counseling if you feel like you might need that, and uh, a weekly newsletter. And it also gives you access early to our podcast episodes. So you get to hear them one, one week before everybody else if you sign up for that membership. Some people sign up for all of those perks. Other people just really appreciate what it is that we're trying to do and uh, sign up to support our organization. Um, so I hope that you'll consider doing one or the other. And if you're not able to make the commitment for a membership, we're also able to accept donations at our table as well. We are supported by donations. We're not receiving any government funding or any other kinds of funding right now. So uh, um, and please consider helping us out. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Who's next? Next. next We've got sir. Jennifer and Earl. Okay, this is Jennifer, a nurse educator for Non24. Just wanted to let you know that I am at my booth to answer any questions. And or... she still doesn't have ice cream. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Um, so, or if any of you have an organization or group, um, support group that you belong to that would um, like information, feel free to reach out to me, and I'm happy to uh, provide a, a quick education session to them. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Mr. Hims. Earl? Earl, he's not in here. Oh. Are you here yet? Okay, yeah. now, now there's Earl. We would like you to, I guess, just oh. what you're doing. What's your booth is? Just, just a minute or two at most, Earl. Just okay. talk about your booth. Um, I'm, a lot of you know me, Earl Harrison with Hims Incorporated. I'm the national account manager. Happen to live here in Fridley, Minnesota. Friendly Fridley. And at my booth, I have um, the various note takers that uh, so many of you here in the room are already using. Uh, yeah. Braille Sense 6, uh, I've got a Braille display called the QBraille XL, and I have a, um, a new uh, book reader that hasn't been seen yet here in the United States called the Sense Player. They, they um, released it on the international market, but eh, we've got some unique things here in the U.S. that it's just not ready for. That's it. Thank you. All right. While our vendors get back to their booths, I'm just going to read, I'll give you a little information. I'll read about our virtual vendors. Um, and they're all listed in the convention program also. So for anyone who registered for the convention, you can get that information from our program. And we do have a couple of our um, vendors who have open Zoom rooms now. So if you want to go in and chat with them, they will be open during our vendor hours also. And the first one is AT Guys, and they are your um, they are your accessible technology experts. 
affordable and useful technology, gadgets, and tools for work, school, and play. Headsets, keyboards, braille displays, cell phones, slates, and more. Customized training and accessibility consulting is also available. And they have a Zoom room that is open today. And you can also go to their website, HTT, HTTP colon backslash backslash www.atguys.com. Or you can give them a call at 269-216-4798. And as I said, that information is all in the program. We have another virtual vendor, uh, Blind Girl Designs. And thank you again to Tricia for her donation for our auction. And uh, Blind Girl Designs has unique hand-printed hoodies, crew sweatshirts, and tees with delightful, whimsical patterns. Each print incorporates white canes into the art. We have a snowflake uh, made of white canes, and Patty had that sweatshirt around last night and was showing it off, and it's very cute. A snowman holding a white cane and many, many more prints. Sizes are adult, unisex, small through 5XL, and prices are from $29 to $49. They also have cardigans and dresses and a whole lot of other things. And uh, Trisha's website is www.blindgirldesigns, with an S, dot com, or give them a call at 862-448-1011, and they will walk you through all the ordering process and all, all the products that they have. Our next virtual vendor today is Pampered Chef. And for the past six and a half years, Dawn Brush has worked as an independent Pampered Chef consultant. And her goal is to enhance the cooking experiences for, any, uh, for anyone, but especially for the blind uh, cooks by using products that come with a guarantee. And you can contact Aunt Dawn at 605-380-1588 or by email at dbrush, that's B-R-U-S-H, at nvc.net. And our final virtual vendor is Tupperware, Marie Brinus, and Marie also has a Zoom room today, and she has kitchen gadgets, food Food, oh my goodness, food storage options and cookware. And Marie, as I said, has a Zoom room today. You can also contact her, and her phone number and email are in the program. Her email is chef.marie2022 at gmail.com. So those are our virtual vendors, so don't forget about them and reach out to them, especially the two that have a Zoom room. Oh, and Dawn, I know, in the program has a coupon code that if you order, you get a percentage off as a part of our ACB Minnesota convention. So that's great news. So what we're going to do now is we are going to end our in-person and coverage for the time being. For those of us who are here in person, 
Our banquet will begin and dinner will start at 7 p.m. tonight. We will be in this room here. And then we will go live to Zoom and on ACB Media 8 at 745 Central Time with our banquet speaker. So thank you so much, everyone, for being here. See you in the exhibit hall. <laughs>